Thank you for choosing to listen to the Hope Rock Church at Lake Travis podcast. For more resources and information on our church or our team, please go to www.hoperockchurch.com or find us on Facebook. Good morning, Hope Rock Church. My name is Kat, and I'm here to tell you if you would like to be featured in the Rotan 2021 video, then sign up. There's only six spots left. Can you believe it? Okay, that is really great. We can we get the opportunity to just to go love on people, let the light of Jesus shine out of us, and, and that's what it's all about. And then I'm also here just to tell the ladies that we have our retreat coming up April 30th to May 2nd, and um, I think we have six spots left. So if you want to get a spot, you best go online quick, quick, and grab that spot. And then, um, moms, we are going to be having a prayer circle this Friday morning from 8 to 9 a.m. Yarra Church. And this is for moms or grands or anybody, any lady to come and pray. If you have children in your life that, you know, are precious to you, you come and pray. We stand together. We give each other our prayer requests, and then we pray throughout the month for that. It's a really powerful time. And um, those online, you can also sign up online. So there's every reason to be there. Okay, and now I hand the mic over to Marco. Thanks. Marco. It's Marco. Good morning. Good morning. Nice to see everybody. If you don't know me, that's my name. She told you. But don't say Marco. Say Marco. Marco. Can we say that? Okay, that's good. You guys, are getting, you guys are getting there. I mean, slowly but surely, we are slowly but surely getting it. Everyone always says that, you know, we sound different, but the truth is you sound more different than we do uh, because there's just two of us and many of you who speak American. Anyway, it's good to be here with you this morning. Uh, thanks for coming. We always appreciate, you know, just being able to gather together. This is something that a lot of people take for granted, but I think COVID taught us that we should never take these times for granted. When we can gather together as a body of Christ, stand with one another as believers, encourage one another, that's a beautiful thing. And then to have the Spirit pour Himself out in our midst, move amongst us, man, man, this is what I live for. So thank you for coming, thank you for joining us and being a part of this. I'm going to start my timer before I get into trouble. Last week, Sunday, Charlie did a great job of closing off our Genesis series and I hope and I trust that all of you enjoyed this series in Genesis as much as we did. I mean, we love teaching it. And I thought to myself, if you didn't enjoy it, what we could do is just keep doing it until you do enjoy it. Right? I mean, just, did you enjoy it? Yes. Okay, I gather. I see. Everyone wants to just get on with Let's move on. We've done Genesis. Let's move forward. And we are moving forward. But just before we do, we went through Genesis for a particular purpose. The purpose was for us to not only describe again in great detail the majesty of our God, the creator God of the universe who really and truly spoke everything into existence, but also for us to see that from day one, Jesus' perfect plan for redemption was always there. You see, we, we think and sometimes can believe that Jesus was somehow God's plan B or God's, God's plan C, because if Adam never sinned and Eve never sinned, then maybe we could get away with it. The fact is, the story of salvation was written into creation. Jesus was there from the beginning. And he was always there for us, which means everyone in this room and all of you that are watching us online, if you're a Christ follower this morning, you were chosen by God from the beginning. That for me just like builds my faith in ways that I cannot even describe. God would choose me. He would choose us for such a time as this. Hallelujah. 
couple of weeks ago, Tyron was here, Chris as well, NCMI, the guys from NCMI, and they reminded us of some really important things, things that we can so easily forget. Just the fact that we should keep things simple. I often, I don't know about you, but I have a tendency to overcomplicate the gospel sometimes. I have a tendency to overcomplicate my core and what God's calling me to. I make it more difficult than it needs to be when, in fact, the simplicity of it is this. Jesus Christ crucified, resurrected, seated at the right hand of the Father. That, friends, is the simplicity of the gospel. And when we keep Jesus the main thing and we make his mission and his mandate the purpose that we exist and we don't build our own kingdoms, we build his kingdom, then we're doing what God called us to do. That's as simple as it is. And so I want to encourage us this morning, don't think it's complex, because it isn't. It's about Jesus and what he did for us on the cross. He did it, not us. We don't do anything. We get to participate with him. We get to sow the seeds. He brings salvation. We don't save anyone. Even this mandate here, to know Christ and to make him known, that's our job, is to make him known. What people do with it is up to them. God will draw them in. And so don't be scared. The season that we're going into is an important season. It's the Easter season, the most well-attended church time in American church, whatever. I found that out, statistics. I'm pretty good at that. Let me tell you the two most well-attended Sundays in America. Easter Sunday, Mother's Day. Those are the two Sundays. Father's Day, very badly attended. (laughs) Dads, don't let your husbands, please don't convince your wives to stay home on Father's Day because you want breakfast in bed. I think that's what happens. See, on Mother's Day, the wives are saying, let's go to church. Let's go and worship the Lord. Husbands are like, man, let's play golf. It's Father's Day, man. It's my weekend. I can do what I want. Women want to be in church. Men want to be on the lake. No judgment here or condemnation, guys. I'm a man too. I've been there. I've done it. So anyway, sorry. Back to this next season. Three weeks to go until Easter Sunday. And so, you know, given the nature and the simplicity of this gospel, I wanted us just to focus on Jesus for the next three weeks. In fact, I want us to focus on Jesus for the rest of our lives. But over the next few weeks, I've sort of tried to put together a mini-series that will just help us get to know him again if we need to. Help us to press deeper into him than ever before. And help us to live out this mission of making him known. And so this week, today, this morning, we're going to look at the fact that Jesus is and is continuing to be revealed to us. And what does that mean? What are the implications of that? Next week, Sunday, we'll look at the fact that Jesus is inside of us. He lives in us. What does that mean for our lives? How should we conduct ourselves? Who should we you know, introduce him to, considering he's traveling everywhere with us? And then on Easter Sunday, which is three weeks from today or two weeks from today, we're going to just deal with the simple fact that Jesus is risen. No bells and whistles, no fancy things. We want people that come on Sunday to this church to understand one thing. Jesus Christ is risen, and he is their Savior. It's the gospel. That's all we're going to preach. Hallelujah. Amen. Sound like T.D. Jakes there. Hallelujah. Anyway, let's pray and let's jump into this morning's text. Father, I thank you for just the wonderful privilege to be able to teach your word, to hear your voice, and to see you, Lord, high and lifted up. I pray that this morning, if there's one thing that any one of us ever remember, it's the name of Jesus. That's it, Lord. I pray that you would make yourself manifest to us, that you would reveal yourself to us, and you'd bring revelation and impartation from this word. We pray this in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Okay, so as I said earlier, we're going to look at this concept of revelation. What does it mean to us? But before we do, I think it's important just to define what we mean by revelation because I think sometimes we can be a bit confused. What does it mean to have Jesus revealed to us? I mean, surely if we know Jesus Christ as Lord, as our Savior, 
as our friend, then do we need more revelation of Jesus? Haven't we got it all? Isn't it there? That's it. That's who he is. The answer, friends, is we do need more revelation of Jesus. Because whilst it is true, did you hear that? I said whilst. That's a South African word. While it is true that Jesus is the Savior of our lives, the Lord of our lives, the friend to us, there is so much more that God wants to reveal to us about his son. You know, often I think of this analogy of my wife. When I met her, yes, I wanted to know the fundamentals about her, who she was, where she came from. That was a long story on its own. But but let me tell you, I wanted to get to know her, right? And that's an endless journey. Believe me, my wife is complex, beautifully complex. I mean, like she's got facets to her that I will discover for the rest of my life, you know? Not personality. She's got one personality, many facets, beautiful, caring, loving, generous, gracious, You know, and that's who God is to us. And so we do want more of a revelation of Jesus. Or perhaps we might think that a revelation of Jesus means that we are given some secret information, some insider info, something that we can get that nobody else gets. That's dangerous, friends. There is no such thing as secrets about Jesus, okay, that only I know. If I tell you something that Jesus told me to tell you, but you've never heard it from him, don't listen to me, for real. Because I am being a little bit dangerous with that. There is no revelation that I can have that you also can't have. Why? Because we worship the same God. We worship the same Jesus. And because of his blood, because of what he did on the cross, each of us in this room have the same access to the throne. And so whilst I might have a deeper relationship with Jesus today because maybe I've been a believer for far longer, it doesn't mean I get special revelation. So we all get the same revelation. So what am I saying actually? What do I mean by revelation? Jesus is being revealed to us and continuing to be revealed to us. And the example that I can think of, it's really just sort of quite simple. There's two examples. One, it's about hearing and seeing. Think of Charlie's go-to scripture, Psalm chapter 19, verse 1, right? The heavens declare the glory of the Lord, and the sky above proclaims his handiwork. Day to day reveals, uh, pours out speech, and night to night reveals knowledge. What David is saying to us in this psalm, is he saying to us that even though we believe that the sun, the moon, and the stars exist, I mean, I'm, I hope everybody here believes the sun and the moon and the stars exist, right? It doesn't mean that when you see a sunset or a sunrise that all of a sudden it's losing its beauty or its grandeur. In fact, every time you see a sunset, every time you see a sunrise, the majesty of it captivates us, right? And so what David's saying is when you look to God, when you look to Jesus, Every time you see his face, every time you encounter him again, you are revealed another aspect of his character, his nature, his love, his mercy, his goodness. And we should never want to stop seeing that. And guess what? You'll have eternity to do that as well. In fact, you'll never run out of seeing new parts of Jesus, new revelations of him, because he is almighty, all-powerful. Take all the sunsets, all the sunrises, all the stars, the moon, and everything else with it, combine it, and Jesus is infinitely bigger than that. That's the God that we serve. So that's one aspect of revelation, hearing and seeing him. Do we listen to God? Do we press into God? Do we want to see him? If you don't, please do that. The second aspect of revelation is about doing. Remember in Luke chapter 14, Peter is in the boat. Jesus is walking on the water to the boat. Peter does something quite interesting. Before they all get scared, they get very petrified, all of them. All the disciples are freaking out. They think it's a ghost. But then Jesus says, calm down, it's me, it's me, Jesus, I'm coming to you. And Peter says to him, Lord, if it is you, then tell me to get out of the boat. And what Peter's doing in that moment is he's showing us that his revelation of Jesus has changed. You see, no longer is Jesus just a Messiah. But now Jesus somehow has the power to control the laws of science, gravity, whatever 
what's it, liquid dynamics, buoyancy, everything. So buoyancy, but gravity is buoyancy, like it's all part of the same thing, right? I'm not a scientist, as you can tell. Buoyancy. All of a sudden, Jesus can do that. And so Peter says to him, Lord, if it's you, tell me to get out of the boat. Because Peter knows if this is Jesus, if this is really him, then I can walk on water. And so his faith demands action. And so revelation of Jesus means that we act out on our faith. And this is important. When your information or when your understanding of the king of the universe is religious, when it's uh, theoretical or conceptual in nature, you will always be a person who stays inside of the boat. But when your understanding of who Jesus is is built on a relationship with him, one that you've pressed into, that you've sat on your knees crying through prayers, praying for people, seeing God reveal himself to you in majestic ways, you will always be somebody that knows when the time comes, you'll be able to walk on water. And the most beautiful part about Revelation is the more that we seek Jesus, the more we look for him, the more we find him. The more we find him, the more we know him, the more we know him, the more we fall in love with him, the more we fall in love with him, the more we want everybody else to fall in love with him. It never ends. The cycle grows. And so we are a church that is desperately hungry for Jesus. Greater revelations of our king. Greater outpourings of his majesty. That's what we want. And we want that not just for us as a local church. Corporately, we want that for you individually too. It'll change your life. Back to what we're doing today. This morning, we're going to be reading an account that probably everybody here is familiar with. In fact, I think you've probably heard it preached before. Not this preach, but you've heard this text preached a lot. Turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter 24. We're going to look at revelation in action this morning. We're going to understand how it happens, what can prevent revelation from happening, and what can we do in our own walks with Jesus to never allow ourselves to be prevented from seeing him. So in Revelation, I mean, Revelations. Gosh, it was quicker eh? from Genesis to Revelations. Luke chapter 24, verse 13. In your Bibles, the title that you'll see is The Road to Emmaus. This thing's driving me nuts today, this mic. Mm. Apologies. So the context here, just a little bit of a background. It's been three days since Jesus was crucified. So three days ago, from the morning that we're at right now in the text, Jesus was put on the cross. He died, ultimately was buried in a tomb after being beaten and ridiculed and spat on and all of the things that Jesus went through. We all know it. I mean, this is the Easter season. We should know this. Three days later, which is this morning, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of Jesus and James go down to the tomb along with another lady called Joanna and they realize that the stone has been rolled away. The garden tomb is empty. Jesus isn't there. And then these angels appear to them, and they say, why are you looking for the living amongst the dead? Such a powerful question, one that we'll keep repeating over the next few weeks. Why are you looking for the living amongst the dead? Sometimes I think we treat Jesus as if he's dead. The angels want Mary to know that he's alive. And so Mary runs all the way back with other Mary and Joanna, and they go to the disciples and say, you won't believe it. We saw angels. They told us Jesus is alive. The tomb is empty. Unfortunately, no one believes them except for one, Peter. Peter goes back and he looks and he realizes it's exactly what they said. The tomb is empty. Jesus is not there. And so we pick up the text this morning. That morning, these two followers of Jesus are walking down a road, a road to Emmaus. 
says this, that very day, two of them were going to a village named Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem, and they were talking with each other about all these things that had happened. While they were talking and discussing together, Jesus himself drew near and went with him. But their eyes were kept from recognizing him, and he said to them, what is this conversation that you are holding with each other as you walk? And they stood still, looking sad. So these two followers of Jesus are not part of the 11. They're not the disciples of Jesus. But they must have been pretty close to Jesus, or at least close to the disciples. Why? Because they were with them that morning when Mary said that the tomb is empty. These were close people. Being followers of Jesus also meant that they believed in Jesus, right? So they'd seen Jesus perform miracles, maybe raise the dead. Who knows? Maybe they were there when Lazarus came to life that Charlie mentioned last week. Or maybe they were there when Jesus fed the 5,000. Or maybe they were there when Jesus cast out demons. Whatever the case is, these men knew Jesus, chose to follow him, and they believed in him. What's more, as I said earlier, they knew, according to eyewitness accounts, that Jesus was alive. He wasn't dead. And so on this road to Emmaus, which is an 11-kilometer journey, sorry, I'm metric, I'm South African, but I'm trying to get into miles, seven miles, they have a choice to make along this journey. They can choose to determine what they believe. And this is point number one. Perception, our perception of reality will always determine our revelation. Our reality will determine our revelation of who Jesus is. And so on this road, these men have to decide. Do they believe what Mary said, that Jesus is in fact alive, that he's been raised from the dead, that he's now no longer in the tomb and that he is somewhere? Or do they choose to believe that what they saw with their own eyes, the fact that Jesus was beaten, hung on a cross, died, buried in a tomb, Jesus is dead, do they choose to believe that? Unfortunately, and don't be so hard on them, they realize that accepting the fact that Jesus is alive is just too much. It requires too much faith. I mean, let's be honest. If you watch somebody die brutally the way Jesus did, and you see him buried in a tomb, and I come up to you and say, he's not dead, he's alive, you're probably going to go, hmm, you've been mm, drinking the good stuff again, Marco. I don't do, I'm, I'm not, I won't do that. No, no, anyway, I'm not even going to go there. So they choose to believe that he's dead. They choose to let their perspective on reality become their reality. They choose to admit to the fact that Jesus cannot be alive, and it's in that place. It's in a place of doubting that Jesus shows up. That's what I find so interesting. Jesus shows up in that moment when they realize, you know, that they are sad and commiserating with each other. These people are depressed. It says they were sad. They're not celebrating. And Jesus shows up, and it says in the text that they were prevented from seeing Jesus. Now, you're not sure at this point, and... No one really has the answer to this, whether or not they were prevented by Jesus from seeing him supernaturally, whether they couldn't see Jesus because they just couldn't recognize him in his resurrected body because he looked so different, although we do think that he looks, looked similar, but he might have been clean and before he was bloody, so who knows? Or it could have been the simple fact that their unbelief caused them to be blind. It might look like Jesus, might sound like Jesus, but Jesus is dead, so it can't be Jesus. I personally think that's really what was going on here. And so the question I have for us today is, what is our reality? Because whatever our reality is today will determine our revelation of Jesus. We'll either see him or we won't see him. Has corona and COVID and all the stuff that we've been through over the last 12 months, the social unrest, the political unrest, you name it, we've been through it. The snowstorm, the, the freezing cold, whatever it is. The wind from the other day, it was crazy. Like, I mean, I'm so, like, over all of this stuff that's happening I've never been through before. I said it before. These firsts need to end. I want to have the same of the same. 
I like the same, actually. I realize I'm not too keen on new stuff. But all the stuff that we've been through, have we allowed that to become our reality? Or perhaps we're longing for the days before COVID where everything was amazing and everything was cool and people still played football on a Friday and you could go to school and not wear a mask and there were 100,000 people in the stadium and everything was just amazing. Do we long for those days? Is that our reality? Or are we living in the reality that Jesus is immovable, unshakable, far bigger than Corona, far bigger than anything that his plans have not failed? In fact, his plans are advancing right now. Are we living in the reality of the kingdom that is going forward, that nothing can stop? Because if we're living in that reality, that will be the revelation of Jesus that we have. But if COVID's our reality, then everything, we look at Jesus through COVID. We need to stop doing that. Jesus is more interested in where we're going than where we came from, right? So verse 18 continues, then one of them named Cleopas answered him and said, are you, only a visitor to, are you the only visitor to Jerusalem who doesn't know the things that have happened here in these days? He's asking Jesus, who was brutally killed on the cross, if he's a visitor. I mean, Jesus hasn't been called a visitor at his entire ministry yet. Now he's a visitor. And he said to them, what things? And they said to him, concerning Jesus of Nazareth, a man who was a prophet, mighty indeed, and word before God and all the people. And how our chief priests and rulers delivered him up to be condemned to death and, and crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. Yes, and besides all of this, it is now the third day since all of this happened. To have a greater revelation of Jesus, friends, it means that we have to align our desires with his desires. These men are telling Jesus what happened to Jesus. They're moaning. They are grumbling they're complaining haven't you heard our savior's dead and they say something interesting that reveals their hearts they say this they say we had hoped that christ or jesus was the one to redeem israel that's what they say our hope is gone because we hoped that this man would redeem us as a nation so what they're saying to him is we are more interested in a political figure than we are interested in the king of kings you see, Jesus, to us, was going to redeem us from Roman rule. He was going to put the Romans down, make Israel you know, a new nation again, and put us at the top again. Let all these other nations around us contend with Israel. They saw him as a means to an end, a political means to an end, a way for them to rule and reign. They saw him as a nationalist icon. And when Jesus died, because their reality couldn't come true anymore, they were filled with despair. And when we allow our dreams, our desires, to be the lens through which we see Jesus, when our dreams fails, then Jesus fails. When we don't get what we hoped we would get, then Jesus failed us. But we have to reverse it, friends. In order to have a true revelation of who Jesus is, we have to see our dreams, our desires, as noble as they may be, as something that is laid at Jesus' feet. And we say to him, Lord, what do you want for me? How can you use my gifts, my talents, my abilities to further your kingdom? When we make it about him and we look at everything through Jesus, then we have victory and we have revelation. But the other way around, friends, we will always be disappointed. Jesus did not come to save Israel in the way they thought he was coming to save them. Jesus came to save the world, not just a nation. Verse 22, moreover, some of the women of our company amazed us. They were at the tomb early in the morning, and when they did not find his body, they came back saying that they'd even seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the woman had said, but they did, but him they did not see. I just want to pause here for a second. This is not a point, but I think it's important. These men had just been given great news. 
Let's be honest. Great news. The person that they thought was dead, even though they thought he was there to save Israel, the person they thought was dead is not dead, right? The women have told him Jesus is alive. He's alive. The angels have told us. They told us he's alive. You would think that instead of commiserating and being depressed on the road to Emmaus, these men would have been doing jumping jacks, flick flacks, and tumbles all the way down the road, telling everybody that they saw that Jesus was alive, right? I mean, that's what you'd think. If this was their hope, the reason for existing, and he was actually not dead, that's a cause for celebration. But they don't celebrate. Why? And we come to realize something. And this happens to us all the time. When somebody comes to you and tells you a supernatural story, and they say, you know, you won't believe it. The other day I was praying, and as I was in my prayer time, I saw angels. Your mind automatically goes, mm -hmm. angels. Okay, I'm sorry. But you disregard it, right? I mean, let's be honest. I have friends who see angels. Like, I'm not even joking. Real angels. OG angels. Okay? I've never seen an angel. These are mighty men of God. People that have got powerful prophetic, prophetic voices that I've never seen be wrong. And they will sit in front of me with a no smile on their face and tell me they just saw an angel standing behind me. And I'm like, man, I just, I didn't see it. I didn't feel it. I didn't know it. But they see it. Who am I to say that that's not true? Who am I to disregard the supernatural? These men disregarded the supernatural. Angels, they told you Jesus is alive. Mm -hmm. How many times do we miss the miracles, friends? Because we choose not to believe in the supernatural because it's uncomfortable. But let me tell you, when I read this word, it's filled with supernatural events. In fact, the fact that this Bible is here in its written form, the way it is today, has to be supernatural. This is not by man's doing. This Bible has been knitted together supernaturally. Our salvation is supernatural. We are born again, not of the flesh, but of the spirit. And so let's not be so critical of the supernatural. In fact, let's look for more supernatural. And I'm not saying let's be weird, but let's not be critical of it. Let's not shut it down before we don't even know what it is. That's what happened to these guys. That's why they're so miserable. And he said to them, verse 25, O foolish ones and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and the prophets, he interpreted to them all the scriptures, the things concerning himself. Growing in our revelation means that we have to read God's word, right? For ourselves. Not just on a Sunday, not just here at church, but if you want to have more of a revelation of Jesus, you've got to read his word. These men are called foolish by Jesus. Why? Because guess what, buddies? If you knew the scriptures, if you read the word, you would know that everything that has happened to me was prophesied. The good, my ministry, the fact that my mom's a virgin, the fact that I would do all of these miracles, the fact that I would go to the cross, be persecuted like a lamb to the slaughter without deserving it, and the fact that I would be raised again. You would know this if you just read the scriptures. Instead, what do these men do? They cherry pick what they want to read. And so they pick the things that suit them. Oh, we're going to have a king. He's coming to redeem this. They wanted a kingdom without the king. You see, they wanted a, they wanted a savior, but not the Lord. They wanted, you know, to have this, you know, quick fix to their lives instead of an eternal friend. That's what they wanted. And so they just misrepresented scriptures entirely. And let me tell you, this is not just them. This happens today, not in the world, in the church. Entire swaths of scripture are just not read anymore. Why? Because it's uncomfortable. We can't read the stuff about, you know, same-sex marriage, that it isn't all right to God, because it, it's, yeah, it doesn't mean we don't love people, 
but we can't read about murder being a sin and, and then think of all the babies that are killed, or we can't read about hell because nobody goes to hell anymore. And I'm saying this not to condemn anyone. I love everybody. Some of my best friends are unsaved. I love them. I really do. But this word, in the entirety of it, is authoritative in my life, which means I believe it from Genesis to Revelations, everything in between. I'm not going to choose what I want to believe. These men chose, and guess what? They missed Jesus. If we choose and we start to unpack Scripture and take pieces out that we don't like, then we miss Jesus. Because he is written in every verse, in every, in every uh, passage, in every paragraph. He is in here. His life flows through this word. He was called the Logos of God, the Word of God. John chapter 1, verse 1, in the beginning was the Word, the Logos, the written Word, the Scriptures was there. He was with God. The Word was with God, and the Word was God. This is God, Jesus, revealed to us in text. Don't start taking things out, please. If you want a revelation of Jesus, you need to read his word. Verse 28, so they drew near to the village to which they were going. He acted as if he were going further, but he urged him strongly, saying, stay. they urged him strongly, stay with us, for it's towards evening and the day is now far spent. So he went in to stay with him. When he was at the table with him, he took the bread and blessed it and broke it and gave it to them. And their eyes were opened and they recognized him and he vanished from their sight in an instant. Then they said to each other, did not our hearts burn within us while he talked to us on the road, while he opened to us the scriptures? Man, to have a greater revelation of Jesus means that we realize that revelation brings realization. Realization that Jesus was always there from the beginning. That's what happens when Jesus reveals himself to us. Think about this. It's so powerful. The written word of God is revealing the word of God the Logos of God, is revealing himself to them through the word of God. I mean, this just blows my mind. The word of God is speaking about scriptures which are him. Like, I mean, if that's not a paradox, I don't understand what it is, but he's God, he gets to do it. And so they don't see Jesus, but they hear him, right? He speaks to them. He blesses them. He takes them to communion. He doesn't deceive them. Everyone, sometimes you think, well, he was pretending and he was deceitful. No, he wasn't. He wanted to test their hearts. You see, what happened to these men was even though they didn't recognize Jesus as being Jesus, they knew that what this man had was words of life. Now, if you know this, if you were before you were a Christ follower, or perhaps you're on the fence, what you will know and what keeps you coming back is words of life. Not me, believe me. You don't even understand what I'm saying half of the time. Let's be honest, or anybody else, right? Like you can't understand my accent. Don't come back to hear what I have to say. We come back because these words have life. And so even before we make the decision to follow Christ, there is something about this that captivates us. It intrigues us. It draws us in. That's what happened to these men. And they say, why did our hearts were burning within? We knew this all along. This was Jesus. How did we miss it? But we realized he was always there. And then he speaks. He blesses the food. He breaks bread with him. Today we're going to break bread shortly. But he blesses the bread. And that reminded me this morning as I was preparing of not only just the logos, which is the written word of God, but it reminds me of the rhema word of God. There's two words that describe the word of God. One is logos, one is rhema. Rhema is the living word, the uttered, the uttered word, the spoken word of God. Great example is John the Baptist walking in the wilderness. The text says that God spoke to him. The rhema came to John the Baptist in the wilderness and spoke to him. We don't know what he said, but it happened. So guess what? God speaks to us. Not just through his word, he speaks to us. Words of knowledge, prophecy, prayer time. But guess what? The rhema word of God and the logos word of God always agree with each other. There is never a disagreement. No special revelations here. 
Everything that's in the text will agree with what God is saying to you. He can't disagree with himself. But it made me realize that if we want a greater revelation of Jesus, we need the word and the spirit, right? Not just the word, not just the spirit. We need them both. We need to make space for both. God wants to speak through his word and through his spirit to us today. Did not our hearts burn within us? They realized he was always there. Have you or have you ever considered that Jesus has never left you, never forsaken you? Perhaps you're on the fence and you've never made a decision to follow Jesus. If you look back on your life, you'll realize his hand has always been there, pulling you along, nudging you along, directing you along. And so let me ask you a question. Who is Jesus to you this morning? Who do you see when you think of Jesus? Maybe you've lost your spark. Maybe you've lost that excitement that you once had. I think, and I'm saying this, maybe I'm wrong, but I believe that one of the greatest ploys that the enemy has ever deployed in the church is this notion that as you grow up as a Christ follower, you become more dead. Don't you? I mean, I've heard people say it all the time. Man, I remember the day when I first got saved. Hallelujah, man, I was on fire. I was out there handing tracts. Even if they were Christian, I was telling them about Jesus too, right? I was, man, for real, I know guys that would go and preach to dogs. They would start praying over dogs and praying before they swept the floor, and everybody was on fire. There was no enemy that was too big. There was no place that was too scary. They would walk across the water to get there and talk about Jesus. And the enemies come into the church and said, oh, but that's just new faith, right? That's how it is. But over time, we become more mature. And the fire turns into a coal, which lasts forever. It's rubbish. It's rubbish. I'm telling you right now. He does that with marriages too. Huh? Have you heard that one? Oh, man. Remember the honeymoon days? Oh, this is the best. Eh? To be honest, they weren't. They sucked. Really. Honeymoon was the worst for me. I'm not even joking. But we believe it, right? And the enemy's told us that your marriage is going to get worse from that point onwards. My father always used to say this to me. You're like, Dad, how long are you married? Man, longer than a life sentence. That's what he told me. I've been married to your mother longer than it takes than people sit in jail for. And that's just, and he loves my mom. Don't get me wrong, he's Italian, and that's how he is, and I love him. But that's how we talk about our wives, right? That's how we talk about our faith, is it somehow gets worse. It gets quieter, stiller, less effective, less demonstrative, because we have to become better behaved. No. My marriage, I declare today, is going to get better every day. I'm more in love with my wife today than I've ever been. Why? Because I know her more. doesn't mean we don't have issues, but I love her more. My honeymoon is coming. Believe me. And guess what? We are the only people in this world that live on this side of eternity who are getting closer to being with Jesus, right? Every one of us in this room, every one of us are closer to eternity today than we were yesterday, right? Yet we become more depressed every day. If I had to come to you and say, you could go anywhere in the world. My place is Bora Bora, right? Never been there. Don't think I'll ever get there. It's too expensive. I want to go to Bora Bora. That's my bucket list item. If somebody came to me, say Miss Wendy. There's a nudge for you. I'm a hint and I'm joking. But just say Wendy and Chris came up and said, we're sending you to Bora Bora. You and your family, all expenses paid, first class tickets. I would be over the moon, right? And they say, your flight leaves two weeks from now. Man, I'll be over the moon. Then if it's 14 days, 13 days comes, I start getting less, less excited. 12 days, oh gosh, I've got to go to Bora Bora. One day before, Wendy comes, are you excited? You know, I'm like, just so over this, you know, this Bora Bora story. It doesn't work like that, right? Every day I get closer to Bora Bora, I get more excited for Bora Bora, right? In fact, while I'm on holiday, I'm already thinking I've got to go home. And I'm thinking, I don't want to go home anymore. 
But that's not how we behave as believers. We are closer to eternity today than we were yesterday, but we get sadder and sadder. God wants us filled with joy, on fire, praising Jesus every day. We should be more demonstrative of our faith, not less every single day. We should be more on fire, not less on fire. We should be changing the world. From glory to glory, that's the kingdom we live in. Not from glory to coals. Glory to glory and greater degrees of glory. God wants more fire. He wants to release his fire on us. He wants to revitalize us. That's our last point. Revelation brings revitalization. These men, I'm not going to read it because we're at the end. Oh my gosh, I don't even know. I don't even know what happened at the time, but we're at the end of the day. These men have a revelation of Jesus. They see him. What do they do? They go back. They don't go home. They stop what they're doing. They drop everything. They go back to the disciples and say, guess what? Everything Mary said is true. Jesus is alive. Their mission has come alive. Their hearts have come alive. Their fire is back. They're not sad. They're not depressed. They're not lonely. They are declaring the praises of a living God. Revelation brings revitalization. If you are struggling today to feel excited about the things of God, to want to do the things of God as you once were. Perhaps it's because you've allowed your revelation to be impacted by something. Maybe it's the world. Maybe you're looking at Jesus through the lens of the world. Maybe you're looking at Jesus through the lenses of your circumstances. Maybe the enemy has convinced you that you're not good enough, not great enough, and you somehow have gone backwards in your life. That's not the kingdom that we serve. I'm gonna close with this. Paul says this in Ephesians chapter three, verse eight. This is powerful. He says, to me, though I am the very least of the saints, this grace was given. Do you know that it's a privilege to serve God? A grace was given to Paul to serve God. He doesn't say, oh, you know what, you won't believe it, this huge amount of stress on my life and this, God's asking me so much. No, this grace, it's a privilege to walk with Jesus. Mark, you can come up. To preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. Paul's job was given a revelation. Paul had a revelation of who Jesus was. His job was to take that revelation and preach it to the people. Our job is to take the revelation we have and deposit it in other people. They don't have it. Our job is to show them who Jesus is, right? God uses us to bring revelation. That's powerful. And to bring to light, reveal, for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for the ages in God. Do you know what the plan of mystery is that's hidden in the ages of God? Do you know what that plan is? If you don't know, let me tell you. The plan was salvation. Jesus on the cross, dying for our sins. Let me tell you why it was hidden. Had the enemy known that Jesus was going to die on the cross, he would never have put him on the cross. God hid his plan from day one. And you'll see it throughout Scripture. One day we'll preach on this. God hid his plan so cleverly from the devil and his minions that they never knew what was going on on Calvary until it happened, until he showed up in hell and said, give me the keys that, I, that, that you once had. I'm taking them back. That's the plan that God hid from the enemy. And guess what? We get to tell the world about this. And not only the world, Paul says this, who created all things so that through the, through the church, through the church, who's the church? The building? No, us. Through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might be made known to the rulers and authorities in heavenly places. Not only do we bring revelation to people, friends, God has chosen us to remind the devil he's going to hell forever. That is the victory. That's the God that we serve. 
There is no force that is bigger. There is no enemy that is greater than the King of Kings. And we get to serve Him. And so the enemy will bow down at the name of Jesus, not because of who I am, but because of who Jesus is. And Jesus has given me the privilege to share this word. And let's get excited about it again. Easter's coming, friends. The day when Jesus rose from the dead. Let's believe again. Let's jump with joy. Let's not go moping down 620. Let's do cartwheels down 620. Not really, like, but you know what I mean? Like figurative cartwheels. Let's stand. I want us to break bread together. If you need a revelation this morning, if you need more of Jesus, if you want him to show you who he is, then now's the time. The text that we just read said that as, as they were breaking bread, Jesus blessed it. Now, I'm not, I'm not Jesus. I don't pretend to be. But speaking over our lives this morning, I'm going to pray. Might not be a normal communion prayer that you're used to hearing. But I'm trusting that in this moment, as you drink of this juice that represents the blood of Christ, and you take of this little cracker here and represents the body of Christ, that you'll look back to Calvary. And don't look back with regret or sadness. Instead, look back with joy. Declare this morning that Jesus is alive. Jesus is alive. And then go tell the world that Jesus is alive. Invite the world to hear Jesus is alive. Father, I thank you for this church, this group of amazing people. I thank you for your word, your living word, that is greater than any double-edged sword. I pray, Lord, that you would cut through right now, through the marrow, the, 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 the views, the, 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 all the critical stuff that we've had in our hearts for so long. I pray that you would cut right through all of that this morning, Lord, as we break this, break this, as we break bread together. And as we celebrate your broken body, the body that was broken for us on the cross and the blood that was shed to wipe our sins away. I pray, Lord, that you would reveal yourself to us afresh. Show us another facet of your glory. Give us revelation power, Lord. I pray this in the mighty name of Jesus. Thank you for listening to the Hope Rock Church at Lake Travis podcast. We are a church that is passionate about knowing Christ and making Him known in our city, the nation, and the ends of the earth. For more information on who we are, please go to www.hoperockchurch.com or find us on Facebook.